Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, automotive world? This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. Today on the show, I have a guest joining me. Uh, this should be a familiar voice if you've been listening to the show. Matt Fanslow. Uh, Matt was on with me uh, back in March. Um, you can check that episode out as well. Um, Matt is a really smart guy. Uh, he's always thinking. And uh, he reached out to me. We were talking about a uh, subject uh, that he wanted to have a discussion about. Uh, you know, Matt... Matt it looks at things from different perspectives that not everybody else does, or maybe in some cases is not, you know, we're not willing to. Um, and it really uh, gets you uh, thinking about what we're doing as technicians or, you know, just even people um, when we're going about our day-to-day lives in this field. And what he wanted to talk with me about today is the question of, Accuracy versus applicability. And what I mean by that, or what Matt means by that, is when we go into, you know, a diagnostic, when we're preparing, you know, to work on a vehicle or to understand a system, we have to do just that. We, you know, we have to understand how something works um, in order to fix it, in order to diagnose it, I guess I should say. Um, obviously, most people can bolt on parts with out knowing exactly how something works. Um, but to really diagnose a system or a component or whatever it might be, we do need to understand what's happening to a certain level. And even if it's a basic level, we should know what is the goal of this system? You know, how is it supposed to function so we can test it properly? And then that kind of goes without saying, but as diagnosticians, you know, as people that are supposed to be able to figure these problems out, we might go a little too far into how something works. We might go a little too deep, like we get into the science of things. We get down to physics and atoms and quantum things that uh, sometimes uh, one could argue that there's uh, there's not much of a point to go that far. Um, especially as a technician, you know, our job's to fix the car. We're just trying to make money. So when is that? too far? And why do we tend to go that far? What is the reasoning behind that? Um, and not only as technicians, but also as presenters, trainers, instructors, when we're presenting something to technicians, when is it just going way too far when we get into the science? And again, why do we tend to do that in this field? Because uh, we do see this a lot. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we'll do our best to answer the question. Um, but uh, this was a great conversation, so I'm excited to get into the interview. Uh, let's jump in. Hey, what's going on, Matt? Not a whole lot. How about yourself? I'm doing doing very well. How was how's your summer? Um, I mean, I spent most of it locked down in a cave. But, no. <laughs> like like most of us, right? No. Uh, I would say fine. Uh, 
considering everything going on, I would say very good. That's good. Staying busy. Shop's shop's been very busy. That's good to hear. Use more techs, but they're very hard to come by. Yeah, yeah, you're not alone there. (laughs) It might be a whole separate episode. (laughs) Right. Um, I I had a shop this summer that I was going to. They wanted to hire me because I I went in to do the programming and diagnostics and stuff, but they wanted to hire me to come fix stuff for them too. They're like, come put in this transmission for us. We'll pay you cash for it. I'm like, that's that's not really what I'm doing here. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's how, that's how desperate a lot of shops are. It's, it's, it's out of control. Yeah. And I think with some of the COVID stuff, with people losing some of their jobs, um, the talent pool probably got larger. But I think you're finding out now that a lot of people working these different jobs were doing pretty well for themselves. And now to get access to them, we have to step up our games. And that's not even talking about if they're on unemployment with some of the spiffs along with that. that some of them are doing pretty darn good on unemployment. And that's not even a political statement. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's a fact. Yeah, for and sure. So it's hard to hire them away from being at home all the time, making a pretty, pretty decent living. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. It's uh, it, I, I've, I have a few uh, students in my class where, you know, say a similar scenario. Yeah. They're making, making significantly more money uh, on, you know, that side of things than, than going to work, <laughs> fixing cars. But yeah, like you said, that's, that's a whole nother uh, conversation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It would be a big conversation. We'd start out with the problem with cars just aren't worth that much money when it comes down to it. And you're competing against entities that want our skill sets on stuff that's worth way, way more money. And they have much more means to uh, compensate. I mean, we're, we're in trouble right off the get go. Yeah. Well, um, you wanted to come on the show today. You had a, you had a thought on a, a discussion topic, yeah. and uh, I'm definitely interested uh, to to talk this out with you. Um, why don't you give the listeners just the the gist of of what you're thinking about, and then we can kind of roll with it. Well, Sean and I messaged one another periodically, and I recall a few years ago. <laughs> quite a few years ago, actually, uh, on the uh, on IATN, on one of the forums, there was a shop owner at the time named Phil Fournier, or Fournier, I'm not sure, I thought it was pronounced Fournier, but Fournier, uh, who was in a discussion, and he mentioned something about sometimes applicability is more important than accuracy. And that lit quite quite the debate um fairly one-sided on you know a lot of people against him and although i wasn't involved in it i think i would have argued for the side of accuracy at the time i think i really would and now in retrospect having uh gone down a few rabbit holes uh i'm seeing things in a slightly different light and i'm thinking maybe not, I'm, I, actually, I'm not thinking maybe. I'm thinking he's right. Uh, and we're probably nitpicking a little bit about where I'm going with that. But I think 
the reality is, is applicability is that probably trumps accuracy because there is a limit to where we need to know something, how in depth we really need to know about it. If we wanted to pick on, on um, electricity, right? A lot of people have fixed a lot of things, not just cars, a lot of things thinking about electricity as water, you know, as a fluid. Sure. And part of this is spurned too by just, it seems like a, a rash, a rash of, um, namely on social media, of, of posts and discussions about how things really work or what's really going on with this or how does that uh, function in reality. And some of that stuff's really cool to know. And a lot of it has not, will not help you fix a car any faster or any better. Uh, and I guess I want to be careful too. I don't want to deter people from digging. But yeah, yeah, nobody needs any training. We'll just part swap and then that, that's <laughs> yeah. Just Google it. Play the, play the odds and you're probably going to be right quite often anyways. But. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, you can go so deep into any topic. It doesn't even have to be uh, vehicle automotive related. Uh, you go so deep in something and you're eventually hitting a science of some sort and or physics of some sort and, and getting, at least for me, I know way outside of my realm and my, my understanding of things and I'm still trying to figure stuff out. Um, and like you say, when you get to that point, it's cool to know. It's fun to know, but does it does it actually help you fix the car? And, and I don't know. Maybe in some you know unique situation, it might it might help you. Um, but in a lot of times, maybe not. Maybe maybe you're wasting your time uh, with all of that uh, that digging. And for <clears throat> there's been a, quite a few discussions, I think, on um, like oxygen sensors, the older galvanic cells. Uh, zirconia that they didn't really sense oxygen they're named oxygen sensors they weren't really sensing oxygen they're more really lambda switches and what activates them is a combination of things and i remember that coming up uh, in discussions and it was really spurned by a certain group of uh, I don't even want to call them techs. One of them was a tech, but a lot of them were really heavily involved in emissions. Okay. And that's really where that started to come in the question because they were witnessing certain things that were difficult to explain. Why are we getting this uh, trim shift with an emiss a misfire? And if it's sensing oxygen and you have a four-cylinder engine with a dead miss, why am I not getting 25% correction if it's measuring this 25% more you know this blast of oxygen going by it or uncombined air if you, or unoxidized air if you will and I shouldn't say oxidized air but air used to oxidize the, the right why isn't it shifting that much what's going on here and then all of a sudden you start asking these questions and they lead to more and more uh, answers and deeper answers and it turned out even SAE, uh, some researchers had, uh, SAE had papers from researchers that were looking into like, what, why is the O2 sensor act this way in a misfire? Why does it act this way in this scenario? What's really going on? And they had to answer that for themselves too, for just fuel control, 
they have to come up with the strategies because they have to produce a vehicle that, you know, performs enough that a customer wants to drive it and more importantly, meets emissions. So they need to know these things. And now with, you know, technologies moved on, uh, a lot of that's shifted. It's not as true as it used to be, but you could understand how that would, um, how that path got started and why they followed it. Yeah. And it For was the average tech. I, I, you know, do I really need to know the oxygen sensor is not sensing oxygen? I think you could make an argument and that's not to, you know, I'm not going after anybody for even trying to discuss it because it's really interesting to know what's, what's going on. And when you see this phenomenon, this is, this explains it. This is why this behaves this way. We thought it, you know, sensed oxygen and you're going to fix a lot of freaking cars with that idea. But if you're really paying attention, you're one of those that uh, uses data, scan data, field trims, you're going to see that sometimes it doesn't add up the way you think it would. And that's, this helps explain why. Yeah, I had, uh, I had John Gillespie on and he was talking, talking us through the O2 sensor operation for a narrow super, band and super smart guy. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to know that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I made the comment to him while we were talking about it. I mean, I spent almost all my time in the field as just a, you know, regular technician doing my thing at Firestone. And I never, never even thought about any of that stuff. Like never knew any of it. It was an oxygen sensor. It detected oxygen. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I made some mistakes, but uh, you know, for the vast majority of time, I did just fine <laughs> diagnosing, replacing, fixing whatever I needed to do with the oxygen sensor. So uh, definitely it goes to show both sides of it. it. It is really cool to know. It is interesting to know. We want to figure that stuff out, but. No, I think our egos, we kind of want to be that guy, especially in our circles um, that we run in that, you know, I remember reading it. Um, some of them would be in like chat rooms and then some of them were uh, on forums where the, the quote unquote heavy hitters, if you will, at that time. And some of them are still very much heavy hitters would talk about catalytic converter type stuff uh, using gas analysis, test, testing catalytic converters for conversion efficiency, whatever. And, um, you'd make a statement and they would be able to say, well, that works for this manufacturer or these, this platform on these manufacturers, but it falls apart when you go to this manufacturer or this platform, same manufacturer, two different platforms, two different strategies for uh, catalyst monitoring or, or, or whatever strategy for feeding the cat. And, you know, okay, I kind of want to be able to do that. I want to know that. Well, then you spend, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, probably thousands of dollars on research papers. You know, you get your account with SAE and you download and buy all these papers and buy these books and you start reading through it. And the next thing you know, you're like them. Instead of being able to talk even more and more specifically, you end up having to talk more and more vaguely because you have to try to encompass all these different things. So while striving to be able to speak very specifically about how this really works, 
you end up having to talk very, very vaguely so that somebody can't sit there and go like, well, yeah, but that doesn't work on this car. Well, that doesn't work on that car. And yeah. That's an that, expensive lesson. <laughs> that that uh, statement that, uh, or the quote, uh, the more you learn, the less you know, <laughs> sort, of, sort of thing. Um, and the more broke you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, monetary and, and time. I mean, this stuff's time consuming to not only, you know, read or watch videos or whatever. But I mean, sometimes for me, I really got to like sit down and draw it out and try to try to have it make sense for me because I'm, I'm not a guy who can just read one of those scientific research papers and understand it. Um, I have to like look up a term and see, like, okay, all right, I got to write down a simpler word for myself here so I understand this. So it, it's time consuming too to really try to wrap your head around some of these things. And they're throwing math at you. And- <laughs> yeah, there's equations like, hold on, hold on. This is a car I'm trying to fix yeah, here. Like, uh, I recognize the numbers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very strange how, you know, as like you said, a lot of people in our industry doing what we do, especially on the diagnostic side of thing, we do crave to know that stuff. And like you said, it might be ego for some people or maybe everybody is to a certain point, but it's also curiosity. Um, and I, I think the more that you get into it, the more that you want to know, at least for me, I start finding out, oh, okay, there is all these intricacies to all of these different components and I want to learn more. I want to figure out more. And yeah, you just keep going down, down those rabbit holes. One, one of my first trips down a rabbit hole was trying to uh, help write a uh, class for a training company on inductive current probes. And like an idiot, I started really asking myself, what's a magnetic field? Dude, that was a that was a bad idea. That was a bad, bad, bad idea. Because you know everything you thought you know, it's so wrong. <laughs> and, and you know, and then you're, now you're trying to put together this class talking about quantum field theory, <laughs> and you submit it in, and they kick it back like, "We're not presenting this." Who cares? You you clamp it on the wire and it measures the current <laughs> flow. Go with that. Right, right. It needed to be done, you know, two weeks ago, and you've got sixty-seven slides on quantum fields. It's like, no. It, and th- that that is an interesting perspective to take. Is it's one thing for your uh, technician that's out in the field doing this stuff, but if you're training or teaching um, and preparing material. Um, then I don't know, you start to think about, well, what if they ask this question or what if they want to know this and, and you don't know, so you got to keep digging and keep digging. Um, but again, like a technician, is that necessarily beneficial to the student to know all this stuff? Well, and it it gets back a little bit to the ego too, where as a presenter, do you want to be known as the smart guy, the smartest guy in the room or one of those really, really smart instructors or... Do you want to have a group of people in there that the vast majority when they leave the next day, the next week, the next month can apply what you talked about and fix the car. And that, you know, that's the medium you try to hit 
I think most, I think most presenters, that's what you would try to hit, but sometimes your ego gets involved and it's like, Hey, this will be kind of cool. We'll talk about, you know, perturbations of a quantum field. They'll get a kick out of that. What? You just put everybody to sleep, dude. And even if you didn't, there's very little uh, application for that as you're fixing cars the next day. Yeah. The only thing I can think of for some of that stuff where you where we would discuss field interactions is maybe uh, lead capacitance uh, or, or remember cross firing when we had plug wires Sure. and you'd get a, you know, inductive misfire or capacity, you know, depending on who you're talking to, what kind of a misfire you're going to get. And uh, because if you had these plug wires running along one another uh, parallel for very long, when one uh, plug wire plug got fired, it could induce spark in the other plug wire and fire two um, spark plugs at the same time. And depending on firing order, you could get a misfire off of that because one's firing uh, about when it would need to either start igniting or, you know, so there's a very. Now the guy that figured that out, that, that nailed that down and figured out what was happening. Do you think he really understood all of that scientific stuff or do you think he just got lucky and moved apart a couple spark plug wires? He he saw on his sun machine that probably the raster pattern. We have to think about this a little bit (laughs) where you're seeing multiple you know, this one's firing twice. What? Okay, maybe I got a leaking distributor cap. Okay, put one on. That didn't fix it. And then I'll put plug wires on, and maybe he fixed it, but then he got another one just like it and realized that if he crossed them at 90-degree angles, it would cancel it out and fix the, the issue. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. No, I don't think he was thinking about field interactions <laughs> or anything like that. The other thing is uh, like lead capacitance. A lot of times we look at uh, CAN networks with certain scopes. I, and I, I really shouldn't say certain scopes. Most most scopes that we would use um, it has nothing really to do with the scope. But when we're scoping CAN networks, they, they're noisy a lot of times. They have a lot of ringing. A lot of times that is not the network itself. It's our test leads, um, the capacitance of the leads. Okay. So they... they Right, so they capacitance can be kind of a deep subject, but uh, sometimes thinking about it as having some not only mass itself, the the electricity, if you will, it also affects on the outside of that lead. So you know, there's electrons everywhere. Yeah. Now, because we have a Know, either a current flow or an electric field built up, we're going to attract uh, or repel electrons around there. And if they're attracted to it, you're, at, you're adding mass, right? And that accounts for a lot of it. So if we, we get the, like, the really low capacitance type test leads, they're a little more expensive. Um, they might say like 60 megahertz or 250 megahertz leads, and they're usually relatively short. If we were to look at them, they're heavily shielded, and the uh, strand of wire through the center is very, very small, you know, like okay. a hair. And that's to minimize the effect of that. And if you were to hook your scope up and look at networks using those leads, all of a sudden you notice the, the uh, network is a lot cleaner. 
You're not getting the ringing anymore. Okay. So, okay, yeah, we could go not super deep into, I suppose it would technically be quantum mechanics to explain that. And I'm not sure I know offhand a way to explain it outside of that. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm actually learning stuff here. That's that's very interesting to know. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people were surprised because you, it's, it's never an issue. It was never an issue until really can. And we had low voltage and fairly, fairly fast for an automotive signal. And then, you know, we used to have the, or not used to, but a lot of us have 10, 15 foot test leads. And hook our scopes up to it and wow, that's really noisy, but there's no issues and we got some known goods. So that's, that's what it is. That's the mental image we have. Sure. And then uh, somebody hooks up their industrial scope with more industrial test leads, high, uh, or I should say low capacitance leads, high speed leads, if you will. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's really clean. What, what's going on here? And oh, it must, maybe it's scope loading or whatever. It's like, well, no, their input impedance is the same. Now let's take these leads and put them on my scope. Oh, wow. looks clean. It's got to be the leads. Do I have bad leads? Buy new leads. Same issue. It's not the leads are bad. It's just they weren't really designed to look at this fast of a signal. Yeah. You know, a scope is a great example to, uh, you know, to apply what we're talking about. Uh, You can go down you know, so many rabbit holes using a scope. Uh, of course, the scope is going to help you understand what's going on on these circuits so much more than you ever would otherwise, because I mean, we can't see electricity. But yeah, you can go down all these different rabbit holes, like looking at noise on a network. I've done that for sure. And noise on a signal. <laughs> people chase noise. Oh my, oh my. I, yeah. I mean, and it's, Sure. If we say this, the next anybody listening to this in the very next car, they're going to hook up to, and it's going to be noisy, and it's going to be one of those that they should be chasing the noise. But the vast majority of the times, one one thing with like scope training is uh, just or scope discussions with people that are interested in scopes is they're always looking to really pick a, nitpick these signals. They're looking for any little uh, abnormality, and that's a clue. And I don't, I don't know most, most stuff. It's blatantly obvious. You're not looking, you're not using your scope to really nitpick. If you are, I mean, hopefully you have a lot of experience or else don't just stop doing it. Wait, maybe someday. But I would say I'm not, I don't really nitpick. It's either really there, like obvious or I'll maybe make a mental note of this aberration or whatever. And I'll move on and come back to it if I have to. I'm trying to think, like, in general signals that we look at with a scope, what is the most um, nitpicky thing or the smallest type of uh, um, signature that we would pay attention to? And, and just off the cuff, I'm thinking pintle bumps. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking pintle bump or if you're looking at, like, um like a secondary or um, I'm sorry, a, a current waveform for a coil. You can see some oscillations. It, Turn on the, oscillations. Maybe. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty easy to miss. Maybe um, there, there's some little stuff, but yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying is yeah, most of the time when something's broke, 
<laughs> you you can see it pretty easy. Um, but it, it's so easy to chase those little tiny things that you think, oh, that's it, that little glitch. That that's my problem. I have to I have oh, to dude. chase that. I've been there so many times. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And then some people have a uh, scope day where they get a bunch of buddies together or maybe a group of uh, instructors, a group of techs, a group of whoever. They'll, they're going to sit around and they're going to start scoping stuff and building up PowerPoints and trying to figure stuff out. And wow, the theories. Oh, man. You know, I, I remember when Pico had really just come out with the uh, WPS, the pressure transducer, and... Uh, at a at a function where there's a group using uh, first look sensors and the WPS and stuff like that, and the first look sensor is a uh, a piezo uh, transducer, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a few of them out there now. Uh, but at the time, first look was kind of the only one in the game that I know of. And uh, wow, wow, the theories just. You know, this little notch here, well, that's got to be the exhaust valve opening. Like, why would, where would you come up with that? How do you come up with that? And the car runs good, so why do we even care? It's just, wow. And then you see a car that runs bad. It, it's not a little notch here or there. It's like something, <laughs> this is not right. This is, this area of the waveform is much, much different than this over here. And if I sink it, now I have this span of, you know, two crankshaft revolutions. And this area specifically is way different than the rest. I could see chasing that. But wow, you know, zooming in on the actual pulses. Like, oh, this little notch here, that's got to be the intake valve opening. Or it's not shutting all the way. Like, where would you come up with that? Well, and I think, you know, some of this stuff, it really comes down to, what is your goal with some of this stuff? You know, are you just trying to make money or uh, are you, do you really just want to learn about things? Cause you know, if you're, you're just trying to figure things out as far as pressures or voltages or whatever you're looking at, I mean, that is it for me, it's really fun to spend the time on that stuff and uh, yeah, I'll waste a couple hours just messing around with a good running engine or whatever, looking at this sort of stuff. But, you know, is that, is that making me any money? No, no. So if that's, if that's your goal, you know, you want to be productive in the shop. You want to be, um, you know, just rocking those cars out. I think it will, it, it will come through and help you at some points, but it, it, it's tough to measure it. You know, how, how valuable is that time spent? I think, yeah, I think if um, approached properly, and it's kind of one of those where you check your ego at the door. Um, and you know, even if you're doing this research on your yourself, so, you know, we'd be talking a little bit of cognitive bias here. Kind of check your ego at the door. What you're talking about, I think the net benefit could be good in that hopefully over time you start developing that sense of when do I go do I follow this or do I abandon this and go a different direction? Cause sometimes like the best diagnosticians I know, a lot of times it's, they know what not to chase. They know when they start going down this road that this is not, they just either a hunch or of course experience. 
this is not, I don't think this is going to take me where I need to go. I can, I can put up a, you know, a flag here. I can always come back to this, but I'm, I'm bailing, you know, instead of spending, you know, two, three, four hours or two, three, four days going down this road, I'm going to, within, you know, 10, 15 minutes, I already know, I already got this hunch. This ain't, this is not leading me where I need to go. I'll plant this stake here. I'll plant the flag here. You know, I'll leave a mark. I can come back. I can always come back and back it up. And I'm going to think this through and pick a different path. And, uh, you know, that's some of the best techs, you know, diagnostically speaking, I can think of. They're really good at that. They're so good at that. Just ignoring certain information that might cause others to, you know, almost like a uh, fishing, right? They get hooked on it and they're starting to get reeled in <laughs> on this and they're really good at spitting the hook out or just not going for that one. Not going for this bait. I'm going for this bait. You can tell we're a couple Minnesotans, right? Relating diagnostics. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all about that experience. Yeah. You know, okay, I can, I can put that aside. I can ignore that or, oh, that, that means this, it's not, not the actual problem, but yet yeah, usually, at least for me, because I went down that rabbit hole at some point or another, or maybe I was lucky and I went to training and they told me that, you know, about the system or about this, but a lot of times it's because I followed that at some point and I realized it was a dead end or it was misleading for some reason. As, as an instructor, how do you guys approach or maybe you specifically, maybe not even your group, you, you specifically, how do you approach presenting some of these things? Like, you know, we can pick on electricity pretty easy because I think that's, um, you know, it's a phenomenon that nothing we interact with on a daily basis behaves like electricity. And although pretty much everything we use has electricity, and you know use whether it's our cell phones or our daily lives but also now automobiles and you have presumably young people sitting in your room that uh you know i don't know if they even have intro classes to electricity and uh, school anymore I, i don't know yeah i i don't know if they have anything like that in the high schools um yeah so um, I, I, I don't actually teach the basic electrical course that we have there. Um, we got a guy there that does an awesome job on you know, setting them up with the fundamentals. But for, for me personally, just, I mean, any, any of my courses, uh, see, when I started, I was more, uh, I was so nervous about getting up there and not having the answer to a question. And I think a lot of people feel that way when they go to teach or train is they want to be able to give a, an answer to any question and not seem less than or stupid or anything yeah. like that. And I was very much like that. I, I was, I was um, just, you know, studying all of the time, trying to take in all of the information and going as deep as possible. I would ask myself a question. Okay. I'd have all this presentation. Well, what if they ask this? I gotta, I gotta look up this, this, and then that would go into my presentation, of course. And again, going too deep into stuff. And I, I found out really quick that that wasn't the answer. You know, I could go through, you know, 15 minutes of all this in-depth stuff on what whatever topic it might be, an ignition coil. And yeah, I'm going into magnetic fields. I'm going on all this crazy stuff. And they're staring at me with, you know, glazed over eyes because I lost them a couple sentences in. Um, and 
I've definitely tried to make the shift towards um, obviously making it simpler. They, they need to understand how this stuff works, but trying to make it applicable to the car that we're working on. Okay. So, you know, we're going to go out to the vehicle and maybe we'll do test A, B, and C. You know, how does our understanding of that component relate to these tests? What are we seeing in this test that shows us how this component's actually working and trying to keep it within that realm. And if somebody has a question, Hey, I'll try my best to answer, but I found out the best thing is if I don't have, if I don't have the answer to the question, which, which is plenty of the time, let's do a little research together. Let's see if we can figure out, you know, the answer to that question. Uh, most of the time it's doable. And sometimes you hit that wall and you're just like, well, that's the way it works. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's the way you leave it. But I mean, I tell you what, teaching is just, uh, it, it's an ever evolving thing for, for somebody who's doing it. You, you learn just as much, if not more than the students that are in your class uh, all the time. It, it's such a, such a unique experience, I think. I was curious if they just kind of skipped the whole, you know, I, I remember my basic electricity classes and, uh, both courses or um, I shouldn't say courses programs I went through they always started out with the uh, you know the atom electron electron shells valence shells stuff like that sure. and then I, I don't know if that was just for material uh, I, I don't I don't know um, you know I get wanting to talk about conductors and insulators and semiconductors a little bit but you know, I've always wondered if they'd skip that, if that really served anything, and we just really kind of got into more of the function of it. I don't want to say Ohm's law, like we're just busting out equations right away, but more that process of you know current, voltage, uh, resistance type things, and resistance can be a load, of course. Just kind of skip the whole sciencey stuff and that would have kept more people engaged uh, and, and able to better apply it. I, I don't know. Just kind of thinking out loud. It's uh, it's very possible um, that, and yeah, it depends on the person, you know, some people are really into that. I remember going through the pretty much the same thing you did and learning about, you know, valence orbit and all this stuff. And I thought it was really cool. I was like, Oh man, this is, this is so cool. And yeah, other people, that's that's not going to be <laughs> the way their brain works, and they just want to know how to fix the car. What do, what do I need to know to fix the car? Um, but I mean, the other thing too is with so many of our students is a lot of the stuff you have them do it on paper, and even if they can read a diagram, it's a whole nother ball game when they get out to the car. And you know, we can understand this, this the science of something you know, to the, the very tiniest detail, can we apply it to the car? And that is one of our big focuses is let's, let's get, let's get them out on something on a, on a vehicle, on a real life component, put some tools in their hands and make sure that they can do these things, that they understand these things. That's where, that's where that learning really happens too. That's where they lock it in. Um, these, these skills that they can grow after the program is by, by doing something, you got to have classroom, you got to have some theory, you got to go over this stuff, but getting them out there and doing it, man, that's, that's where I see the light bulbs come on more than anywhere. 
So I guess uh, the question would be, you know, electrical is definitely one thing, but <laughs> where uh, where do you stop, you know, in, in your search for knowledge on some of the components or systems or cars? Because you got to have you got to have some understanding of how something works, obviously, if you're going to diagnose it or fix it. But there's there's got to be there's got to be a reasonable cap at some point. Uh, where we say, okay, that's, that's enough. I don't need to go any further with this. Yeah. I, I wrestle with that a lot. Where, where do you stop? Where do you, where do you draw that line? And I think it's, it's almost on the presenter that I don't, I guess, I don't know. I guess I keep coming back to ego a little bit. And you have to have an ego. I mean, you have to have a certain ego or some confidence in what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, or that maybe pride, pride and ego are going side by side a little bit. Not that one isn't part of the other, but um, we'll end up in a psychology discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but. To be good, to be good, like whether you're striving to be productive, uh, you know, good tech, the best tech, you know, in the shop, in your town, on the block, in the county, in the state, in the country, whatever that goal may be. Um, and the, none of them are right or wrong. It's it is what it is. You, you gotta have a goal, right? Yep. You know, whether it's you're gonna be, you probably should have a goal if you're the tire tech. Uh, at a shop, you should be the best tire. T- you should want to be the best tire tech that shops ever had. And then hopefully they don't keep you there. <laughs> and, move. and then when they move you up to, you know, whatever undercar, then you're going to be the best undercar guy they've ever had. And the person, I shouldn't say guy, but undercar tech they've ever had. And then wherever that, you know, whatever the pathing is uh, striving and then, that would be taking in more and more information. But as a presenter, I just have, I have a rough time. Where's that line go? A lot of times I just talking about electricity. I try to avoid all the uh, physics of it because it's, it's a, it goes sideways so fast. You know, we'll talk. I'd, I'd rather just talk more about the relationship between voltage current and resistance and not I'm going to avoid all this other theory because now now what do you want me to say if we think about this you know the the way I think is uh, at least currently the accepted theory of uh, uh, of what's going on with electricity and I mean now how do I explain that in 15 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes to answer this quick question that it's not going to help anybody. Right. You know, and now I sound like kind of an egomaniac up there talking down to people or something that I don't want that either. And I don't want people leaving a classroom going like, wow, that was mind blowing. He's so smart. Most of what he said went over my head. Then I failed. <laughs> I failed epically. I, I would rather you be like, eh, you know, he's 
seems like you know some stuff, but I can a lot of the stuff I'm gonna take back, and maybe they won't even know it when they leave. Maybe it's kind of like, wow, he sucked, and then they go and <laughs> fix a few cars because of it, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, he wasn't so bad. That came in handy. That worked. Like, maybe rather be that guy. Well, you know, I tell you, I know we both go to to John Thornton's training. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be some live training at some point in the future. But he's got some online stuff coming up. Yes, yes, he does. Um, yeah, yeah, automotive seminars. Did you do yeah. the ADOS one yet? I have it on my computer. I okay. have not watched it yet. I've been so busy, but I've been meaning to sit down for a few hours and check that yeah, out. I gotta. I might have it too. Then I guess I was waiting for that email, like it was ready or out or show up at whatever time on you know this bat time this bat channel and watch it but i'm either didn't get the email or missed yeah. it or went to spam i caught a couple of stuff going to spam it sucks i think i think they put it on your account or something through their website or something like that um but i tell you john has a good balance of what you're talking about where he will kind of blow your mind on some stuff <laughs> but he also really gives you a lot of good uh, information that you can go use on a vehicle tomorrow. It's pretty good um, about being able to walk it back. Yeah. Um, like here, here's the science, if you will. I don't think he's ever actually said that, but you know, here's the SAE document. Here's the number you can buy it. This is kind of what it says. And now I will interpret it and then you'll have maybe something drawn in um, uh, paint or something like that that just walks it back a little bit easier to much easier to digest and yeah he's probably I mean it's hard to uh, compare him to anybody else right right kind of like there's John and then the rest everybody else <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he knows what he's doing that's for sure works really hard at it you know what i don't think i don't know if he gets enough credit for how hard he works at that 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 might be the biggest thing is the amount of time and effort and care he puts into developing this stuff that i, I don't know i've never seen anything like it i don't know anybody like that they're very structured in how they approach things both from a I got to fix the car standpoint to now I have to gather this material, sort through it, you know, aggregate it or whatever, put it together and put it into a presentation. And then, you know, I mean, he's probably presented a class. I, I don't know if I would be, I don't know if I would even want to put a number on it before he ever teaches it in front of a group. He's presented it many, many times. And uh, I, I just, I don't know anybody like that. Yeah, it's an extreme dedication for sure. Well, any other thoughts on this? Not that I can think of. I mean, it was really just kind of a, you know, hey, Sean, what do you think of this idea? And whether it was worthy of an episode or not, I don't know. But it's, oh, I, I definitely think so. It's interesting to talk about and think about. Yeah. Well, and the two different perspectives, sure, from uh, being just a technician or a diagnostician and then 
being an instructor, trainer, something like that, uh, it's uh, it's a whole whole nother thought process, uh, you know, going into some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the theory stuff's fun. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to, you know, car's got a misfire. It's P0303. Man, do I bust out the scope or it's a four-cylinder and the coils <laughs> are on top. And I pop this cover off and I got my, you know, electric ratchet or impact with a 10 millimeter and zip, zip. Yep. Flip, flip. Oh, no, it's, it's a P0302. <laughs> okay, the cool factor of the scope's not there, but you did the same thing, right? Like, yep. Show yeah. all your buddies, like, oh, look at this waveform, man. <laughs> that, that, and I could tell it was bad. Yeah, well, depending on your situation, you know, you might add more time going to get the scope, finding the test leads, you know, especially if it's a, sh- a shop scope and the Everybody uses it, and then where's the current pro? Who had that last? Oh, the battery's dead. <laughs> I'm gonna put a battery in it. I you got your waveform, but the guy with the electric ratchet already had the coil ordered up and fixed. <laughs> yep. You know, I, but yeah, I mean, just to go back to what you're saying, I, I lived in that flat rate world at Firestone, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It doesn't doesn't pay. <laughs> anybody to you know to confirm everything with waveforms all the time sometimes that's the only way um but the the fastest way to the solution that's what made you your paycheck that's what got you on the the turning and burning list at the end of the week um and if you're living that hey that's that's what you got to do for sure and it's a catch-22 because you want to keep the skills you know maybe not always at, at the elite level, but you want to, you want to keep your skills with the scope, just even, even the familiarity of it, right. That conventional means haven't led to the result you're after. So now you're going to bust out the scope and then it's like, Oh man, how do I do that again? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And cause it's been a while. That's when you're looking at those little tiny glitches, like, oh, is that my problem? Because you yeah. haven't looked at any. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're, yeah, you want to keep sharp on some of that stuff. But then on the flip side, you can't get too caught up with it either because that by itself can send you down the rabbit hole just in trying to get everything up and going. Not, not that scopes are so hard to get up and going, I guess. Depending on what you're using, I would just highly recommend having a uh, kind of a diagnostic cart, if you will. That's kind of got the leads and everything ready to go. If you have a laptop uh, or PC-based scope and even scan tools that it's kind of there, ready, charged, and uh, you can be up and running in the shortest amount of time possible rather than everything in nice cases tucked away and full of dust because you haven't used them and forever because you go to grab it and it's like, Oh, I got to get the case. Then I got to go find the laptop. (laughs) Laptops. Yeah. Laptops dead. Current probes of batteries are all dead. Somebody took the USB cable for the printer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, you just, you got to work on that balance. That's, that's what it is. That sounds very philosophical. (laughs) It's all about balance. 
That's right. We're going to have to go watch Karate Kid now. You watched uh, Cobra Kai? Oh, yeah, both seasons. Okay, I'm only a couple episodes in. It's, it's they, good so far, though. It's pretty well done. I, I think we could probably critique some of it. Um, I think they had a certain idea of the first season, and then they're kind of erring away from it. I wish they'd kind of get back to it, but I'm I'm very happy with it. I, okay. I, it was a, a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. The nostalgia is in full swing, at least so far from what I've seen. <laughs> you got a lot of things going for it, though. You got the two main actors look a lot like they did. Older, but, I mean, you know, it's not like Val Kilmer where he looked a certain way when he was young, and now <laughs> he looks a certain way. Yeah. Um, that it's, you know, could you, I, I think Val Kilmer, I haven't seen Maverick yet, but I think he's got a cameo, and uh, he looks much, much different than he did in Top Gun where Tom Cruise is an older version of uh, Maverick, right? Yep. Um, So these two guys, they look the parts. Like they look like they could be practicing karate and, you know, still, still very reasonable. And uh, I think that helped immensely. And then uh, just the, uh, the idea of where it came from, this different angle. I think that's just, Genius. I, I like the, yeah, the different perspective uh, <laughs> that you, you see, you're seeing it from a different side, how everything went down. It's, it, it was re- really interesting so far. Uh, the, and <laughs> it's funny you bring this up. Uh, I was reading a uh, study because that's, that's my life. I get bored too easily, evidently. <laughs> but I was reading this, uh, this study on the effects of, oh, or, no, not the effects. I'm sorry. Not the effects the contribution of luck to success. And that is a little bit personified in um, this, the uh, Cobra Kai. Okay. You're kind of seeing this happen where uh, the effect of luck and then uh, in this, it wasn't the actual study itself, but an example of the study was hockey players. And if you were born uh, in the first quarter of a year, the chances of you progressing deeper uh, at, a, at a high level in hockey goes up fairly dramatically. Even to the pro level, like if you pulled all the uh, NHL players, uh, I don't want to say, an, well, I would say maybe an overwhelming majority of them are all born in the first quarter of the year. Weird. Like, okay. So it's pretty interesting. And the, the reason being is that the uh, hockey year, if you will, starts on the first uh-huh. like January 1st for many programs, not all of them, but many. Right. So if you were born after that, but in that first quarter, when you come back around and you join up, you are months yeah. older. Okay. And the other kids, thus, usually more physically developed, more f- mentally developed. So you get more playing time. Okay. And, okay, most people would say, as you get older, that balances out and it will work itself out. But it turns out, it's difficult to make that back. And, I mean, I don't want to give anything away on Cobra Kai. But, <laughs> in a way, you're seeing that manifest itself. Uh, with one of the characters or, or really two of the characters. It's just 
opposite. Yeah. And I, I find that very interesting. There's, I think another movie with, um, well, I not think there's another movie. I know there's another movie with, um, Jim Belushi. Okay. It's called Mr. Destiny. Okay. Something similar with him, uh, in a baseball game. And he wanted to go in the, like a peewee league and, uh, wanted to go up and, uh, needed to hit a home run or hit the ball and he fails and like his whole life suffered from that just changes the trajectory of, right. of everything and of course in this movie he gets the ability to go back and have that change to where he does hit it okay it's a home run and how his life changes um some would argue for the better some for the worse but it changed and it's another illustration of some of this <laughs> luck that you know right place right time knowing the right people how positively that can affect you versus somebody that doesn't quite get some of those breaks and you ask really successful people like why do you think you're so successful not to even be a jerk just you know what would you Mm -hmm. attribute your success and it's always hard work maybe some genetics depending on what we're talking about um you know teachers blah 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 and not saying that isn't important, but rarely does anybody say like, yeah, I got lucky. Like I, I had a couple thing, a couple good breaks went my way. It's really rare to hear that. And the thing is, is they were really honest, even with themselves, just go home and sit about it, th- sit and think about it. There's a lot of luck, a lot of luck involved. Like you're just in the right place at the right time. You knew the right people. You got the right balance. Yeah. You yeah. Not worked the right way. This went this way rather than that way. Uh, it's just. Well, you know, I was born in August, so that totally explains why I didn't make the NHL pros. I, yeah. I, I didn't know that till now, but now I can, I can go with that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. A, uh, another big thank you to Matt for joining me on the show today. Uh, I enjoyed that conversation quite a bit. Um, I kind of wanted to wrap this up with a few key takeaways, some key points that we covered uh, during this conversation, because that's really what it was. We're just sort of just sort of talking this out. Not that we necessarily, you know, have the have the definitive answer, but uh, it's a really good thing just to get you or me or anybody else just thinking about this uh, as we're going through our uh, our day-to-day technician lives. But uh, some of the key points I wanted to cover, uh, number one, you know, Matt said it best, is to kind of check your ego at the door. You know, how much of this, when we're uh, displaying, presenting, sharing something, are we just doing this for our own benefit to seem or to feel like, you know, we're the smartest person in the room? Um, you know, that's, that's one side of it is, hey, I want to be the best. I want to be the smartest. Also, on the other side of it is I don't want to look stupid. I, you know, should have the answers for these things. I should know everything in depth. I don't want to appear less than anybody else. Is that the driving factor for why, you know, we are presenting things, uh, you know, so so in depth is that to show our knowledge to other people, um, both in the technician world and I think especially in the training world as well, if you're presenting or teaching at all, um, is it just to show everybody in the class how smart you are? And it was another great point that he made um, as a trainer and instructor, 
you know, his goal is to make sure that whatever he presents is something that the people in that class can take and use. Is it applicable? Um, is it going to be useful in fixing cars um, in just everybody's day-to-day life? Or is it just, wow, that guy was really smart. He blew my mind. I didn't understand most of it. Is that class really valuable? And to add on to that too, uh, you know, he mentioned when we were talking about uh, electrical training and explaining how uh, electrical systems work and electricity, that the focus uh, seems to be better spent um, when we really look at the relationship on how these things are acting, interacting with each other, you know, voltage, amperage, and resistance, rather than the the science and the atoms and the electrons, does that actually help you fix the car or is understanding the relationship of the components in real life going to be more beneficial to you? So, you know, if we are going to deep dive into certain things, which I think there is a time and place for it, if we are going to dive into these subjects very deeply and spend some time researching and reading and learning, which I love to do, you should have a goal in mind that I want to understand this in a way that is going to be applicable in real life. What is the relationship between component systems, um, you know, voltages, whatever it is that I can see in real life. Um, that's where our studying, our time should really be focused. And of course, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, it takes time, takes practice, but I think it's definitely perspective uh, that I'm going to take uh, in the future. And I think the last thing that I wanted to point out about what we talked about is, you know, you do have to ask yourself, what is your end goal? Um, you know, when we're getting into this stuff, uh, is your goal really to be the best at, at what you're doing? And it might be. And maybe you do need to, you know, really deep dive into some stuff. Or is your goal just to fix the car and make some money? Because heck, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Uh, I think all of us uh, have been in that position and and still are in that position. Uh, A lot of the time, we're going to do what it takes, (laughs) whatever needs to happen, whether it's flashy or not, swapping those coils. Hey, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, So, you know, again, as you're deep diving into a subject, maybe just check with yourself and say, what what is my ultimate goal here? Why am I diving so deep into this? Why am I spending so much time on this? Is it pure curiosity? Is it ego? Or am I trying to make some money? Am I trying to impress somebody? What, What is that? So, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, Hey, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I'm always looking for people to come on here and chat with me. So hit me up on Facebook. Uh, We will get you on. That's all I've got for today. Thanks again. And let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.